The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off Center with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. This is the first show for 2018. And to celebrate that event, I'm here with three guests. Bob Lofeld, Lofeld Consulting, Nick Wakeman of Washington Technology, and our own Jason Miller of Federal News Radio. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here. Glad to be here, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Jason, tell people what you do here at FED. I'd like to tell people I'm the chief cook and bottle washer. I can uh, fry it up in the pan and make the bacon and do it all. Um, you know, it's a little bit of reporting, a little bit of editing. You know, it's it's the whole uh, whole kit and caboodle of trying to make sure that that the trains run on time. And ask the CIO, please. Well, I do that show. Yes, that, yeah. that's yeah. is a show I do every week. And Nick, Thursdays at ten and two. Nick, just there in case go. if you were wondering. Okay. <laughs> uh, I well, I'm the editor of Washington Technology, and like Jason said. With his job, it's a little bit of editing, a little bit of writing, uh, talking to lots of people, trying to figure out what contractors are doing and what's important to them and how I can best serve them. Uh, the, the, the main media outlet for the uh, exclusively for the contractor market, outside, of course, this show. Now, Mark, um, did you know <clears throat> that Nick Wakeman and I followed each other? I was at a newsletter that Nick was at, and then when I got to that newsletter, they said, hey, you remind me of this guy named Nick Wakeman, and little did I know... There I was working for Nick Wakeman. 20, 20 years later. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, back then the newsletter market in the government uh, community was extremely vibrant. And we we're talking about newsletters that cost anywhere from 500 to $2,000 a year for hard copy snail mailed subscription. And I got a bunch of them. They were cool. Yeah, it was a good job. But yeah, I'm glad to be where I am. <laughs> and Mr. Lofeld, tell people who you are, what you do. Well, I'm Bob Lofeld, uh, humbly the uh, chairman of Lofeld Consulting Group, and our uh, mission in life is to help government contractors win more business. And to do that, we help them with uh, capture, planning, and execution, and then we uh, write proposals for for lots of companies. Okay, and, so and, if the M and A environment keeps up, you'll be doing it for what two companies? Um, <laughs> well, hopefully doing it s s significantly for those two. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, all right, so we're, we're going to do a recap of 2017, and uh, if, if we get there, we'll do uh, a little bit of a look forward. But uh, let, let's start. Bob, you, uh, on, on your top list of things, you had Alliant 2 uh, starting with the large, but the 2017 was really uh, a year... Uh, in the in the media and I believe in the community for for GWACs and IDIQs, address that first, and then why Alliant is your number one. So sixteen and uh, seventeen were big years for the uh, multiple award government wide uh, acquisition contracts, and in seventeen Alliant was the big fish in the pond. And to refresh everyone's memory on it, Alliant is one of those procurements out of GSA, where you write a proposal that proves that you have experience in a long list of uh, different technologies. And the more experience you have and that you can demonstrate, the higher your score will be. And if it's high enough, you'll end up uh, getting an award. So Alliant went forward with uh, two procurements, one for large business and one for small. The uh, 
large businesses worth nominally 50 billion bucks and the uh, small maybe 15 billion. So both significant procurements. In, in Alliant Large, 61 companies made the cut out of 170 that tried. And uh, five of those turned right around and filed protests at uh, GAO. What was uh, so interesting to us is that the sixth and seventh company to file protests chose a different venue, and they filed in the Court of Federal Claims, which is uh, an automatic suspension of the protests at, GAO, at sure. GAO, and everything now <clears throat> moves to the court. So what's so neat about the strategy, the protest strategy, is that uh, GAO has been fairly reticent to grant relief to protesters under these kinds of vehicles, but the Court of Federal Claims is a wild card. So who knows how that will play out? And we're watching with great interest to see fun, what happens. Fun to watch from the sidelines. Are, are you in the uh, any of your clients in the protest category, or do they all win? Uh, none, none are in the uh, protest category, although— uh, So we can one, assume they all won. One, your clients won. <laughs> one, one, one of them that's in the category asked us to, uh, to help them with the bid, and we declined and told them they didn't have a chance to win. So we're a little surprised to see them <laughs> pop up here in the protest category. But, but no one knows where the cut line is, so— a few changes in points might put you in a winner's circle. Nick. Uh, Bob, I want to ask you, you know, the way that Alliant 2 was awarded, the evaluation that you were describing, you know, putting your past performance, the technology, and that sort of that, the score, that's a relatively new way of awarding. Kind of, didn't it sort of start with Oasis, and now it's... It did, and, and uh, I'd say I'm not a fan of that because the, the idea of writing a proposal is to tell the government how you'll perform the services prospectively how you'll help the government accomplish its mission. And here GSA promptly uh, launches a procurement strategy that says we're only going to look in their rearview mirror. We don't care if you're the smartest guy in the room. We just want to know what your company has done in past years. So it's and, like a true-false quiz instead of an essay test. Uh, perhaps so. But for, <laughs> See, for us, it's a terrible proposal to write. Because it sort of makes it easier on the government to award the contract. They don't have to make as many judgments. Well, well, and it makes it easy because you could pick uh, 70% of the winners going right. into it because it's the largest, most robust players in the market can, can score the highest points. Jason? See, Bob, I'm surprised to hear you say that only in the sense that so much competition should happen at the task order level. These big IDIQs, these Macs, are such a big, in my view, joke in the sense of they're always going to create protests. They're always going to create problems. Uh, I'll give you a quick story about the original Alliant. I remember covering it, and the, the, they made the initial awards, and someone from GSA said, oh, we got this in the bag. We're, we're not going to lose any protests. I said, you will lose every protest. They said, no, we won't. And what happened? They Instead of winning or losing, they just opened it up and let everybody on. And I said to the person, I said, that's the future. You have to let everybody on. And if you've heard Emily Murphy from GSA Talk and her priorities, one of her major priorities is competition at the task order level, which is where it should be at. This competition at this higher level, this get your license to hunt, does not work well. And I think that you have to have the competition at the task order level. And you also will, will survive the protest because not every task order is going to be over $10 million. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know, just sort of the, these <laughs> points in the middle. And, and, you know, the, the points that go so, down. And, and I think that government isn't making a good enough judgment. So, so, so they're not exercising That's, that's okay because the judgment happens at the task order level, and that's where it should be happening, not at this ethereal level but, of whether here, or not you here, can do the work. But here's the big problem is that we, we uh, run a major procurement like this. It takes multiple years to do it. We pick 80 companies, and those companies we, we pledge to live with for the next 10 years. 
Right. Technology will turn over three times in that 10-year period. Some will be merged in. Some <clears throat> will yeah. go out of and business. And then you have the, and, another trend going on where the government is, you know, pushing, whether it's through category management or their, their you know, best-of-class contracts. Well, don't get me going down there in the path. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're getting a narrower and narrower field of contracts. So, so if but, you're not one of those companies to get on it, I mean. But, Bob, look at, for instance, what they've done with some of these, uh, like Oasis has had on-ramps, small business on-ramps. So there's no reason not to have on-ramps on all of these contracts. So in two years or three years, you're going to reevaluate and see what technologies were missing and bring them on. I think that's an easy fix because right now, the way they're doing it with these multiple word contracts, there's always a protest. There's always a delay. It's the most ridiculous thing to do. And instead of just saying, you know what, if you are minimally qualified... We're going to let you on, and then you can either win or lose at the task do, level. Do, define minimally qualified from your perspective first, please. You have some past performance, either commercial or private or, or public sector. Uh, you can prove that you're more than two men, two women in a garage with a cool thingamabob. And uh, you can show that you have at least some history of doing the work. Again, more than just past performance. But, like... You should not have to write a 100-page proposal. Sorry, Bob. And you shouldn't have to do all these things. And you should do that at the task order level because that's really what, what the agencies want. And then it also will stop the – I think will stop the protests. If they let everybody on Alliant 2, the, the wheat and the chaff will separate themselves at the task order. I don't think Bob, protests stop so, for anything. Bob so, jumps so, in. So, so first, if it goes to a task order proposals, that's fine with us because we write a ton of task order exactly. proposals. Exactly. <laughs> but but – GSA had it right when they did schedules. Schedules are an open enrollment vehicle. Anytime you think you can qualify, step up and, and file your application. Uh, C4D was very much the same way. It's sort of a rolling enrollment. And not this uh, juggernaut vehicle where it's life or death for these companies. If you don't get an Alliant contract and you're a, a serious IT purveyor in the market, you are largely hosed. Okay. Because yeah. so much of the market is going to move through those vehicles. You're We're, just... We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center, a very lively conversation on Amtower Off Center, and we shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with three crystal ball gazers. We're looking back. The crystal ball is looking backwards today at 2017. I'm with Jason Miller of Federal News Radio, Bob Lofeld of Lofeld Consulting, and Nick Wakeman of Washington Technology. And I want to migrate to Alliance Small Biz. Uh, Robert, $15 billion, 80 notices of awards. Mm-hmm out and uh the upshot was immediate why aren't i on the list well there's a lot of surprise companies i think in that that outcome the uh 80 players that we saw in the list uh, many of them uh, were sort of unknown to us in the market right uh, and some of the uh players from before a substantial number didn't make the cut so that was kind of surprise one under the procurement uh, procedure because it's a small business procurement the uh, GSA doesn't leap right out and make an award. They they provide a notice of intent to award, which gives the uh, losers a chance to challenge the size standards of the uh, the winning companies. And if you can argue at SBA persuasively that a company doesn't meet the size standard for this procurement, then they're eliminated from competition. That leaves one more slot open in the 80 winners, and hopefully uh, your firm is the, the next one up, and, and you'll move into the winner's circle. Nobody knows where that cut line is across the Alliance Small 
so you don't know if you're the 81st or the 150th that played. But there are protests out there, and they've gone to SBA with it. And, and, and I was to talking to a couple of smalls uh, over the last three or four weeks, and they were pointing out uh, particular companies that they swore to me were no way in heck small businesses by any standard. And, and so. we know they go out and do their uh, research uh, looking at uh, websites and looking at SAM data, and they draw some conclusions about the winners. And there's some obvious ones in the list that – Either that data in the SAM is not uh, accurate or the website data is not accurate, which no surprise there that it wouldn't be. But there's some that probably don't. Don't you have to self bad. you have to self certify when you bid, right, Bob? You do, yes, yeah. So those the, is that considered um, um, when you're you're basically lying to the government? Well, so, you pick your your codes, your NAICS codes. Yeah, but if you sell, if you certify that you are small under the NAICS codes and you turn out not to be, is that considered lying to the government? I, Line's I, a harsh word. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody has been uh, brought down on ethics and integrity violation yeah. for that. But, uh, I, I think that people picking because you know, in certain codes they would be small. So they're saying, "Oh, we're bidding. You know, we fit here." But the thing that surprised me, you know, Bob, you mentioned how many new companies are on uh, Lion Small Business. I was surprised how few from Alliant One Small Business made it. To align two full and yeah. open, they yeah. didn't. I, I think there's. They, a, I mean, maybe two, three. There's, there's got to be a great story in that yeah. as to what what happened to the yeah. incumbent crowd, and did they did they grow too large? Did they yeah. get bought uh, over that period, or or did they just I, fail I to make the cut? How many got bought? Uh, how many? What's the M and A activity on that yeah. on the alliance contract? I mean, in terms of how many of those small businesses got bought by larger companies to get access to new areas to work there were, in? There were some, but it wasn't a huge number. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to go back and – because, you know, you have that whole recertification aspect, so. So they all maybe grew out. Yeah. Which is, I think, I think the, uh, that's another thing maybe for 2018, Mark, is whether or not SBA does another relook at the NAICS codes and whether those size standards still matter. I mean, what's it, is it still $27 million for small businesses in the IT world? Where they, so, yeah. they, I mean, that seems so cool. small still. And, and there's a big push. I've heard recently there's a big push right now in government. You're small or you're not small. And there's a, there's been a lot of discussion about these medium and large size businesses because of the M&A activity that's creating these, again, mega companies like DXC, like some of the others. Uh, when, when, when was it? Agility bought Task. Yeah. And those are creating a bigger company. And then Lidos and, and the CSRA, you have all this kind of happening over the last three or four years are creating really these behemoths that are going after every, you know, IT contract. And, and that's really cutting the middle man out or the middle girl out. And I think that's that's causing some trouble. Now, I don't think it's going to go anywhere because I've heard this for 25 yeah, yeah, years. That, we I, need something for medium <clears> companies. <throat> but I'm interested to see how if that pushes SBA to relook at NICS codes in some way. One of the things that was so clear in the Alliant vehicles is that it's a, it crushes the mid-tier market yeah. because all the mid-tier players are thrust up to play in the full and open against the largest companies. And they're like freshmen entering a college, and they just get, get creamed. They have no chance of winning. So here you perform uh, stellarly as a small, and uh, you, your uh, three-year average sales go over $27.5 bucks, and now you're in this cold, cruel world of full and open. And it's a painful, painful learning experience for lots oh, of people. It's a painful experience when you're uh, particularly in the services arena, but there's two uh, shining examples in the reseller category, uh, three actually, uh, Worldwide Tech, CDWG, and Red River. Uh, each of those, Red River in particular, outgrew uh, small status riding Soup 4 
into soup five and they're they're now in the i believe in the large category for five but uh they're they're continuing to do really well worldwide tech started off as an 8a a number of years ago they've been riding through soup through three iterations and have grown tremendously and you know they don't even really have an office in washington they're they're in st louis eating these giant steaks (laughs) they're a big worldwide is a huge company i mean yeah that's the thing you know you do do you do your small business by revenue do you do it by people i know there's some codes that are revenue some codes are people and i think that that's Mm -hmm. yeah it's a mix for sure yeah. yeah Yeah, but I mean, you talk about revisiting, Jason, particularly the uh, the SBA size standards for small. Nobody's ever going to be happy with the SBA outcome on that. I've been unhappy with it for 33 years, but that's because I'm a curmudgeon and, um, you know, I advise a lot of smalls and I want them to stay small. So, so with the protest to SBA, un- unlike GAO, uh, SBA doesn't have a timeline. The GAO has a mandatory obligation to resolve protests in 105 days, and SBA doesn't. SBA's so, mandate is to do it, you know, when nobody's looking. And <laughs> is GSA cannot make the final awards until SBA <clears throat> rules on these protests? That's correct. They they will resolve those protests, and then uh, GSA will go forward and make uh, the announcement of award now, not yeah, and, not to And away. then and the then GAO for the second volley of protests. <laughs> Because, so until then, uh, Alliant One Small is uh, in full force. So we can protest is, forever if you're on Alliant One, not on Alliant Two, and you know there might be a strategy. We, in we, we can protest to the WFED Board of Jason appeals, and uh, <laughs> we saw one protest early to to GAO from a company called ITS protesting the Small Business Award, and it was promptly withdrawn. So I, I think somebody counseled them and said you. You can't protest an intent to award. You can only protest yeah. an award. So. Yeah, and they, see, were, and they weren't protesting the size standard. They were protesting, hey, our prices are as good as everybody else's. Mm-hmm. So. See, see, Bob, this would be my one thing about the difference between competition to the task order level. If you say you're small and you're not small, that should be protestable at the solicitation level. But all these other small businesses that are worried about price or worried about their qualifications, you just let them on. Just let them on. If you're going to either live or not live at the task order level, and if you don't want a task order in a year and a half, then GSA or whomever should just cut the dead wood. Say, hey, like, like this is what I think, Mark, they should do with the schedules as well, is look at all the companies that have not done business on the schedules in the last year and say, you have six weeks to tell me, tell GSA why you sh- we should keep you on the schedule. And if you can't answer that question, hey, I use it for my state and local business. Hey, I use it for my commercial business. Hey, uh, we're, we're ramping up our federal. We've just hired 10 more people to do federal sales. Whatever reason, that's good. But if you just don't answer, then we're going to cut you off, and you're done. And it, and and you can you have a you know another six months to to protest or so to speak, to so, to redress. But otherwise, get off the schedule. And I think that's a much better way by clearing the decks, clearing the dead wood, than this idea that you got to do a new contract every few minutes. Bob wants to so jump Jay, in and yeah, tell Jason, me Jason, that's that's a great example of a, a sound business decision that that we would make in industry every, every day. But uh, sometimes the government makes sound business decisions, and other times. They will fight to the death to keep the 26th company from getting into right. a 25-slot uh, award where, where there's no dollars for getting getting the award. It's all fought out at the task order. And, and GSA will complain that it, the cost of administration is too much, but I, I just oh, don't. I, I can see well, their point. Yeah, I don't. When you have 6,000 companies and, on 70, 
Uh, I, I I would accept that, but we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We will definitely continue this conversation in a moment. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. If you haven't picked up on it, I'm here with Jason Miller of WFED, Nick Wakeman of WashTech, and Bob Lofeld of Lofeld Consulting. We're looking back at the uh, impactful issues emerging from 2017, and uh, I, w- I want to take a look at what has become the perpetual continuing resolution. And during a break, Jason did a little research. Only four times, four times since 1977 has a complete budget been passed on time. And according to uh, to my crystal ball, the last full budget was 1994 passed on time. So we're I guess we're used to, but still hate the CR. Nick, uh, what what do contractors <laughs> think of this? You know, it, well, it's just gotten so bad these last few years that it stretches out so long. I mean, it used to be by December, you know, you'd have something passed, so people were kind of used to that operation. But with now, there's just the uncertainty, and there's no new starts. There's, you know, it's just barely maintaining things. And then, like last year was passed. June. June? Yeah. So you had uh, three, three, three months of three activity. Months of, yeah, you yeah. had to jam in. End of FY. Yeah, it was just incredible. <laughs> and I think we're we're probably headed that way this year, too. I just don't see them solving it before the end of January. Yeah, Nick, I, or, Jason. excuse me, Jason, I, I want you to uh, uh, offer, I mean, you talk to CIOs frequently, <laughs> a lot. So I think what, you should do a show about that. Some say I, I ask the CIO. Oh, <laughs> I've, I've heard that. What's their perspective on that? So generally when I talk to either CIOs or chief acquisition officers or whomever, the government is so used to the continuing resolution, it's like, okay, no big deal. Let's do what we can do and we'll move on. Uh, I think this year is a little different because the the potential for shutdown on top of the potential for budget cuts Mm -hmm. that the Trump administration has proposed, even though Congress has not yet really acted on those budget cuts. When you look at the approach bills, they have not meeting the president's requests, which they never do. I think there's a bigger concern because they don't want to get they want to spend more money and then all of a sudden they have to make it up on the back end of the year. So if they're spending at the same rate they spent in 2017 for 2018, then all of a sudden they get cut by 8% or 10% or or or, or worse 20%. That 20%'s got to come in that last 3-6 months of the year and that's a much difficult thing and that's where you start getting into uh reductions in force or not layoffs but the this uh, furloughs and, and you get these other things that come up and that that creates much more concern and it slows down everything. Now, at the same time, Mark, the other piece of this is not just the budget, but the lack of political appointees. So there's a lot of feds who don't want to move forward very quickly with any one or two initiative, which goes back to what Nick was saying, because, well, what if it's not quite the direction my that, that my incoming political appointee wants to do? Whenever that person shows up. Right. And last account <clears throat> by Partnership for Public Service, there was well over 250 political appointee positions that were still unfilled. And I think that is all playing into this this feeling of uncertainty that's happening between budget, between people, between policies. How does that impact, and, and anybody jump in here, the lack of the appointees, how does that impact the OMB 53s and 300s? How can they prognosticate if there is a dearth of leadership? They can't. I don't think. Well, I mean, from my perspective, they just go down the same path they've been heading down. 
There's no left turns or right turns. So Xerox the uh, last well, year's report I mean, and put a new date on it. If they have a plan and the plan says, you know, we're going to go from point A to point B, that's what they're going to do. Uh, versus where I think contractors would say, well, why don't we skip point B because point C makes better sense. And why don't you put a contract right. out for point C because we think we could help you more quickly get to the end. But the, the vendor, the, the, the agency may say, well... I haven't really gotten permission to go to jump point B, so we're going to go down that path to point right. B because that's what we've been approved. Yeah, no one's going to take a risk because they're enacting. Someone else is going to come in and pull the rug out from under them or they're not going to get the support. Because some of these changes, especially when you're looking at mod IT modernization and retiring legacy systems, I mean, you need sort of uh, – you know, cover from the top, and you're you're not going to get that with all these political appointees. So I, I, I wish you could do a show on the consequence of uh, contending resolutions and the consequence of uh, government shutdown. I think uh, America in general has an unsophisticated view of it and has no appreciation for the damage that this causes to the operational side of government. But that's because, Bob, the Social Security checks still go out. The veterans still get their benefits. The only, the biggest impact is on public, is on Smithsonian and public parks, you know, and places like that. They don't feel the government uh, operations piece. But right, you don't feel it. But you think about when Trump was elected, a billion-dollar infrastructure thing he was going to do. Where is that? I mean, we're losing. Trillion. A trillion. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, Bill trillion is not that much anymore, Nick. <laughs> But we're losing. It's sort of like the opportunity cost. If we're not getting our ducks in a row today, things are just going to be worse five years from that, now and the, more expensive. That's, that's the emotional slump right now. That here, here we are, gung ho into a new year. We have a National Defense Authorization Act in place, and everybody's ready to go. Except you can't go. Yeah, it's contending resolution. So it was a good plan, but we'll continue to coast until till told off. And you know, Jason, I wanted to go back to something you were saying just a minute ago about you know that there sort of planning for these cuts. One of the things I've been hearing is you have people with a continuing resolution, they're not even spending, they're afraid to spend up to the 2017 level. Right. And then there's a risk that they're, so they're looking at the skinny budget and saying, okay, we're going to spend this much less, but you know you're never, they're not going to pass a skinny budget. So they may end up in May or June when the budget gets passed, it being 10% more than they expect. And all of a sudden they've got several billion more they have to spend in a short amount of time. And that's why Congressman Hurd was so enthusiastic about this MGT Act, because this happens every year, right? If you think about, Bob, how many, how busy are you in, in, in August and September? I mean, do you ever take, have you ever taken an August vacation in the last 23 years? Well, I do, but we're busy all the time. <laughs> you do, because you're chairman. <laughs> but but my point is this, that that there's always that rush to get the money out the door, and I think what the what the hope is that agencies don't have to make that rush anymore, or specifically on IT money. But maybe that's a, some kind of model for the two-year budgeting or some kind of way to bank money. Now, uh, if you guys remember the '90s, the, 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 the mid-2000s, when DoD and GSA got in trouble for parking money, right. we can go. A whole, that's a whole different discussion. But I think they're trying to give agencies ways to have some of those savings so they can use and not have to rush it out the door like we seem to see year in, year out. I'd, I'd really like to see that banking provision, the parking money, come back. I thought it was good for government. The, the argument was, here we have money, we're going to lose it at, at the end of the year and give it back to the treasurer if we don't spend it. So it causes this procurement rush. But when back in the uh, earlier days where you could give the money to GSA, they'd hold it for you, and you could spend it out over the next two or three years with and, and use that in a, a planned, uh, well-defined well way to modernize your infrastructure. 
It worked really well. Somebody said, well, you can't bank money. My question to you guys is, uh, if a budget passed on time, would we have that August and September frenzy for spending the budget? There is an argument that, yes, it would, but I think it would be more pocket change. I think it'd be much more transactional business than uh, program business. No, I think you're... I think you're right. Yeah, well, yeah, especially Nick, what you said last year, June. You know, all of a sudden, all of the money's there, and you had all these programs queued up, and there were still a couple of people on the hill saying, "Look, it's that frenzy thing again." Forty mm-hmm. um, percent well, of the money gets spent in that last quarter. Yeah. You guys have a lot more faith in people. Uh, as a former college student who procrastinated the night before of a paper <laughs> or a a, a, a test. I can tell you procrastination is built into our souls, and we were all up procrastinate, Mark. So, yes, there will be a rush in August and September, Yeah, yeah. no matter what you do well. There you go. Um, so I want to migrate on to uh, something that Nick brought up, um, and that's that's the, uh, um, the, the, the trends coming down the pike, how it fits in the program. Um, and, and I want to... Actually, I want to back up. I don't want to do that. I want to do the NDAA thing because there's there's several issues with NDAA that uh, that are just downright weird, uh, particularly the Amazon clause, even though it's not called the Amazon clause. So, uh, Jason, so this is the most one of the most interesting things that I've seen out of the NDAA in recent years. And, and for our listeners who aren't maybe familiar with it, what the House Armed Services Committee is trying to do is basically they're saying the federal acquisition regulation is just too hard and it can't be fixed, so we're going to go around it. And they put a provision in there mandating the GSA creates more than one, which is, I love that language, online marketplace where agencies can, and DOD specifically, but agencies more generally, can buy you know common goods and services, uh, i.e. Amazon. And I've done several stories about this, and the most interesting thing that I learned from this is is they've been working, this, number one, this provision came, did not come from uh, DOD, they say, it came from the Hill. Number two, uh, they spent a year working on this provision and uh, went to Amazon to check it out, but had no time to go anywhere else around. Didn't go to Granger, didn't go to Walmart, didn't go to 3M, didn't go to anybody else who has online marketplaces. No eBay. <laughs> no eBay. And, and, and the second, <clears throat> and, the, and the third piece of this is, if you look at the initial language, there's a lot of people in the federal IT community, the federal acquisition community, who would point to this and say, hey, this sure smells like Amazon and kind of looks like Amazon. So if it smells like a duck and it walks like a duck, Nick, you grew up in a farm. Is it a duck? Most likely it's a duck. Yes. There's, there you go. <laughs> so, so I think the, the, the point here is that this Amazon provision is, is of great concern because it's really potentially going to change the way the government buys. Almost what I've heard from some people is, is almost to the effect of fast and fair back in the 90s because it's creating this new what, what some people have estimated to be a $5 billion marketplace for common goods and services that can be bought online through this marketplace i.e. such as Amazon. So that's a, well, that's a big concern. It's a, it's a big concern, but I, I want to bring up one point here before Nick jumps in, and that is that uh, if, if you bring in something you know quite that open, we're going to have Peking duck because the Trade Act is going to suffer tremendously. Well, that, that's the problem with that provision, too. It says 
GSA must look at all the current laws, the Barry Amendment, by American Trade Agreements Act. They have to look at that and say which ones would would or would not work. That's that what's part of this phased in approach. Nick, the thing I don't understand is, is what is the problem they're trying to solve because they've been able to go to Best Buy or you know Staples Any, anywhere. anywhere with their credit card and micro buy, center. I like yeah, micro, micro center. center wherever and, and buy things. So I don't quite get what they're what, what's so hard. We're going to take a break. So you're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. We will be back after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Uh, final segment for today. I'm here with Nick Wakeman of Washington Technology, Bob Lofeld, Lofeld Consulting, and our own Jason Miller. The uh, what, what is your official title now here at Federal News Radio? Uh, executive editor. There you go. Executive wow. editor. Ooh, um, I like that. Can I be one? No. Jason, we've been talking about uh, uh, the NDAA. Uh, there's a number of issues here, and, and um, uh, Robert has uh, has several points on this. So, what, Robert, kick it so, off, bud. Okay. So, so the NDAA had uh, three things that were of interest to me in, in the uh, acquisition area. One was uh, about enhanced post-award debriefings, which I, I thought was terrific. There's some additional language about uh, discouraging the use of LPTA in services bids, which is uh, positive. And, and then there's a new provision uh, to say, let's, let's have a new protest uh, approach where you pay to protest if you lose. And, and we'll see if that works out or not. But the most interesting one for me was the enhanced debriefing. And it says if, if you're a bidder, and, and you uh, lose at Department of Defense, and the bid was worth uh, over $100 million, that the government will provide for you at the debriefing a copy of the source selection statement or source selection uh, uh, document. And the SSD is the document where they explain the rationale of how they traded off the value and of uh, your technical merit and your management approach against price and selected a winner. It, it's generally a hugely insightful document. And I know I, I uh, ask for it every time we uh, get into a debrief. I, I generally don't get it, and then I ask for it under FOIA, and I get it about half the time. But now they've made it uh, part of the debrief to, well, you, to lead You're going to get it the it, other it, half the time. You're just not going to get it for another four years. Well, well, that's when I get it. You know, it's way down the road. The other thing is they've extended the debrief period to say you'll have a debrief either in writing or uh, in person. And within two days of that debrief, you can come back and ask questions to the government, and then the government has a five-day window to respond. And, and the debriefing is not open, uh, not closed until that response date is met. So, so the great thing about that is we have an opportunity to get a much fuller understanding of why a company lost. And, and hopefully with that fuller understanding, they will go away with uh, uh, understanding what they can do better next yeah. time and, and feeling okay about the, uh, the outcome. Yeah, and I, and I think that provision will do more to reduce the number of bid protests than making people pay if they lose a protest. Because people I talk to, we've done studies, they're, a lot of times they're protesting because they don't know why they lost, and their government's not telling because the debriefs are so poor. So I think that I, I, that'll... I certainly agree. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be a significant uh, impact. And in a sense, this is building off the successful pilot program that the Air Force has been running over the last few years, where they're disclosing source selection information earlier. And I've talked to several lawyers over the years who've said, just give me the information and I can advise my client 
not to protest or to protest based on what I see. Uh, Rob Burton, former deputy administrator at mm-hmm. OFPP, now uh, Crown Morin, has said to me he has had occasion where companies wanted to protest. He's asked for that documentation, <clears throat> actually received it, and advised the small business or the company not to protest because they weren't going to win. So not only did he save the government time and money, he saved that small business time and right. money. And the logic behind the the lack of debriefings is just amazes me. I don't know, Bob, from your experience, what does the government say when you ask for more information? Like, what is their rationale for not giving you more information? That I think the government uh, in, in general is uh, really intimidated by the debrief process. They, they feel like they're going to be attacked, which is absolutely the wrong thing for a contractor to do. But the government's apprehensive. They'll disclose something which will cause the contractor to protest. And, and we from the industry side explain to them over and over that the more you disclose, the better we understand the rationale and the less likely we are to protest. Because protesting is not cheap, even when you go above and beyond what this new fee that GAO has now put in, $350 per protest, and then this this uh, new provision which calls for anything over uh, companies of revenues of over $250 million also are now going to have to <clears throat> incur a fee. Uh, so, so, uh, Jason, the companies I've talked to about that pay to protest had two, two responses. Uh, one is they said, if it's a big deal and, and we feel like we weren't treated fairly, we're going to protest whether right. we pay or not. And the second comment, which I thought was really clever, they said, you know, GAO doesn't have a monopoly on hearing protests. We're going to take ours to the Court of Federal Claims. But you've got to pay there, too. Yeah. It's more. Right. You got to pay four hundred dollars to court of federal claims. I think. Well, there you go. That's the but fact. But with more work going to task orders, you can't take a task order protest to the court of federal claims. Correct. That also. So, so I think the government's chasing the wrong end of the stick yeah. here. I, I wish they would get on this uh, full full debriefing, full disclosure. Let a company understand. Well, and, it's, it's funny. A year ago, there was the same debate about, and Congress decided, okay, we don't have enough information. So in last year's NDAA. They said, you need to do a study, blah, blah, blah. So Rand is working on a study right now to address the, this question. But Congress this year decided, well, let's just go ahead. We don't know what's going on. We don't have the data. Let's push forward with this well, before they, they even know the results of the study that they, you know, mandated last year. But that's what Congress does, Nick. Yes, that's true. But <laughs> they still, always put the cart before the horse. Yeah. <laughs> then, and then they bring the horse to catch up and they pass another law. But I think because they do realize that this is a pilot program for the the the, unsuccess, the, the, the cost for bid protests are going up. And I don't think that's a, it's not a bad idea to do a pilot program and see how it works. I mean, the Amazon provisions we talked about last segment is also a pilot program. But a lot of us believe that's never going to go anywhere. By the time right. GSA does the, the studies and all that, it's never going to go. At least this one will, will I think, will get off the ground much more quickly. It sounds, you know, to me more like, you know, you do a study, it's the old, uh, the pre-World War II Russia, the five-year plan. We'll, we're we're going to come up with something real soon. Um, <laughs> Mark, so, there's, there's one more piece about the NDA I'd like to bring up as well, because I think this is also away. very important. Uh, there's there's two provisions that will increase the simplified acquisition threshold and the micro-purchase threshold. Uh, the the SAT, as it's called, is going to go up to 250000 from 150000 for the entire government. And that's a big deal. I mean, that's a very a big, big small business change. Small, simplified acquisition's been growing nicely, and that'll help a lot. And the other change is just for civilian agencies, which is interesting that's in the NDAA, but uh, would increase the micro-purchase threshold to 10000 from 3500 and, and I think those are, are all part of this idea that how can we get more small businesses into the federal government, make it easier for agencies to, if you will, go around 
the 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 federal acquisition regulation because now you know two hundred fifty thousand for simplified acquisition that's a pretty sizable contract. I mean, Nick and I yeah. were talking earlier about Amazon. You could always go to Best Buy. You could always go to Staples. You could always go to Micro Center and buy stuff. So now you can even do it even easier because. You know, you need ten computers, two hundred fifty thousand is not, not not that much money. I can't tell you how many companies I brought into the market via the then Impact now SmartPay program in the nineties, B two B catalogers in particular, uh, without schedules. Uh, you know, great products, good pricing, quick delivery, uh, very little of which you would get from uh, uh, traditional vendors back then, and uh, and these companies, you know. The, the more successful ones, the CDWs of the world, National Business Furniture, others migrated to schedules and are still doing, in CDW's case, extremely well in the public sector. So uh, I'm happy to see finally that there's some sense, and, and somebody's going to be pissed, especially on Capitol Hill, $10,000 credit card, you know, somebody buys, you know, a home entertainment system, you know, there's 300,000 cards in use right now. There's going to be a little bit of, of misuse. But David Shea's done a hell of a job on that program over the last uh, however long he's been in charge, educating the agency points of contact, the managers at the agencies for the program, as well as the, the cardholders themselves. So uh, I, I think that's a great move. Um, Mark, Mark, is the the other piece in the NDA that's popped up is LPTA, lowest price technically acceptable. Shoot Nick, it. you guys, I know, have done a ton of work on that. <clears throat> Give me a sense. I mean, are you guys? I, I I hear a lot of complaints still. I mean, I still hear a lot of complaints, and I think even <clears throat> what's going to happen, even if they're trying to push this to discourage the use of it, I think there's still going to be a lot of a lot of uh, de facto LPTA, whether it's best value in the. And the government's going to grade them all like, well, they're all offering the same thing. So then it's just going to fall to price. I think that is what we'll see, continue to see a lot of that. It may not be labeled LPTA, but I think the way the evaluation goes, because I think the government still struggles to differentiate between what the companies offer. I think they see contractors often as very interchangeable, that they're not that special from one company to the next. Um, The, you know, Bob, do you own anything on LPTA? yeah, Other just that we're, that we, don't like we strongly support the hate, hate uh, <laughs> on it. And, and, and what is so terrible about it from a federal procurement point of view is that there's no floor to LPTA. It's, it's a bidder is either technically acceptable or unacceptable. And, and technically acceptable, uh, it's, it's really hard for the government to say you're technically unacceptable. It, that's, that's a harder challenge than just passing it. So everybody passes the threshold. And, and then it becomes the, the, the most courageous bidder, the most risk-seeking uh, bidder. It becomes the apparent winner. Cool. We, uh, we didn't cover all the topics that I wanted to for this show, so we are going to continue this discussion. So tune in next week, uh, and I'll have the same panelists with me. Nick Wakeman, Wash Tech, Bob Lofeld, Lofeld Consulting, Jason Miller of Federal News Radio, and Mark Amtower, who is uh, uh, me. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Amtower Off-Center, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.
Hey, electrical contractors. I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb slash contractor better.